You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, it's my absolute privilege this morning uh, to be bringing us the fifth message in the Passion for the Present series. And as Martin said, this is the concluding message in the series. Although I don't know if I'm the only person in the room, but I feel like we're just beginning something, not just completing something. Do you know what I mean? Okay, that's good. I'm not alone. You see, God is moving in us and among us in this season. Whether you've perceived it or not, God is at work among us. He's begun. He always completes what he begins, so we can be greatly encouraged. I have great expectation and anticipation for what lies ahead for us as a church towards the close of the year and into 2020. Well, we began our series back with Dr. John Andrews five weeks ago, talking about image and intimacy, that we were designed by God in his image and designed for intimacy with him. That's what we were made for, to know him, to be close to him, to be in his proximity. And we were reminded by Dr. John that he is passionate for our presence every bit as much as we are passionate for his. And it was wonderful to be reminded of that amazing truth. In week two, we considered the invitation, you know, you'd better come in and that we're welcome at our worst. We can come right as we are today. We don't have to sort ourselves out first, but you can come just as you are. That's how God wants you to come. And then he works with us from there. We were then, uh, in week three, we were invited to come a little closer. This idea that we find him when we seek him, when we pursue after him. And we talked about some ways that we can do that and things that we can do that help grow a hunger in our heart. And we were reminded that we're not pursuing a feeling, we're pursuing a person. So important for us to remember. And then last week, Mark helping us understand some of the how we enter in, some of the practicalities. And we we thank God for the grace that Mark carries in this to help us in this season. And he unpacked some of the protocols for us of how you enter the presence of the king. And we looked at this Hebrew word, toda, thanksgiving, positioning ourselves with an offering of thanks. It's how we come in. And it's been so sweet and beautiful this week in our times of prayer and fasting to begin our times each time with bringing our thanks together and coming into his presence. And there seems such a freedom and sense of life in our midst for which we're so grateful. So if you want a title today, it's simply this, His Spirit Without Limit. His spirit without limit. And we're we're gonna consider the idea of living in God's presence. We're gonna look this morning and touch upon lots of different scriptures. There's no key foundational text except for this verse which comes from the words of John the Baptist in John 3.34. In that verse it says, for God gives the spirit without limit. I wonder if we could say that verse together, for God. For God gives the spirit without limit without limit. Let's do that one more time. For God gives the Spirit without limit. Because when we're talking about His presence, we're talking about His Spirit. So God gives His Spirit without limit. And this morning, I just want to journey us through three kinds of limitation which God's Spirit goes beyond. And first up, I want us to consider that He goes beyond the limits of a building. 
You know, last week, Mark, in helping us understand how to come in, he was using the picture of the tabernacle, this tent that the Israelites had and the place where God's dwelling was. They camped around his presence, the whole camp surrounded with his presence in this tabernacle in the middle. And there was a set way to come into his presence. And there it was in the middle of the camp, their lives centered around it and directed by it. In fact, if anything moved in the cloud or the fire, then that was the sign that it was the time for the Israelites to move on. That's how central it was. And you can read a bit about that in Exodus 40 if you want to know more about it. But if you know the big picture story of the Bible, you know that the Israelites didn't stay a wandering people. They entered a land and they built a temple. And an exact plan was given to King David, which he then passed on to his son Solomon to build. And the plan and some of the furnishings that were inside it was very similar to that of the tabernacle. The furnishings were all the same themes, albeit the temple was way more elaborate. And when that temple had been built, we can read in 1 Kings 8 and 2 Chronicles 7 that on both those accounts, we read that the temple was filled with the glory of God. He came and dwelt with his presence among his people. These were places, buildings, things that had been constructed in specific times so that God's presence could dwell among his people. So they could camp and live around it. And these pictures, they're helpful for us as we try to get our heads around coming into the presence of the God who is spirit, who we cannot see. The picture of the tabernacle and the temple can help us to visualize. It can help us learn how to approach God. And when we think about how we come in here on a Sunday and how we're trying to learn to enter his presence together, those pictures, the physical structures, they can help us visualize and understand. But the story of scripture doesn't stop there, even with the temple, because the temple got knocked down. 600 years before Christ was born, King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed it. And although there were some rebuilds, there is no temple now. In fact, the season of the tabernacle and the temple is done as such. And I want you to read this morning what the Apostle Paul said about the church in Ephesians 2.22. It's going to come up on the screen. He said this, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You too are being built. He then also wrote to the church in Corinth. He was actually telling them they needed to sort out some divisions amongst them. And he said this, 1 Corinthians 3, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you. So God's dwelling place is now in the community of his people, in us. He dwells where we are built together. What an amazing truth. When we meet together, we can encounter God because he inhabits our community, our connectedness, our togetherness. It's why our relationships and our unity are so important, why we must deal with offense and practice forgiveness, because otherwise we rupture the togetherness that is meant to form a dwelling in which the Spirit of God can live. It means our gatherings are important. It means Sundays are important. Come to the house of God every Sunday. Don't come just from time to time as some do. And come on time because we're being built here together to become a house in which God dwells, 
It matters what time you turn up. It matters if you're in the room. It's why the writer of the Hebrews wrote and said, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. His spirit without limit, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit has been poured out beyond the limits of a building now so that we, the people, have become his temple. He comes to dwell in us as a community. He's moved beyond the limits of a building. He comes to inhabit the interface of our connection with one another. And that's always what we're looking for in Christ-centered community. He goes beyond the limit of a building. Beyond that, the Holy Spirit has also gone beyond the limits of a Sunday. You know, Paul gets personal and individual as he writes in his letters. He wrote to the church in Corinth, there were a number of issues in the church in Corinth, not just division, but also there were issues of sexual immorality, of people having sex outside of marriage, and that wasn't in line with what God was doing. And he wrote to them and said, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And further, in a second letter he wrote to them, and he was exhorting in this verse the members of the church not to be yoked or joined together to those who were not believers. And he said, for we are the temple of the living God. God's plan has always been to dwell with his people. The tabernacle, the temple, they provided a means by which people could deal with guilt and sin and be near. When Jesus came, when he took on flesh, when he made his dwelling among us, as it says in John 1, he came to make an offering for sin once and for all. So we could enter into a proximity far beyond what man had yet experienced. And if you know your Bible, you know at the start of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is first poured out on the believers after Christ has ascended into heaven, it is a climactic moment in the purposes of God. The tabernacle and the temple had pointed towards it, but they were never the end game. It was a long plan, strategically outworked, prophetically spoken of moment when God knew he was going to come more proximate, more close than he'd ever been to people before. And if I can read you when it was prophesied in Joel 2 and then what Peter preached in Acts 2, he said this, In the last days God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. On young men, any young men here this morning? He's poured out his spirit on you. Any old men here this morning? He's poured out his spirit on you. We thank God for old men in the body of Christ, we need you. Any women here this morning? He has poured out his spirit on you. Any sons and daughters here this morning? The Holy Spirit has been poured out so that you, every one of you, can be his temple. You're his chosen dwelling place, your body, his temple. Now, although there is something special and distinct when we come together as the church, And God's presence can be uh, particularly precious when we meet together for the reasons that we've just touched on. It's also true for each of us that our body is his temple. 
that his spirit has been poured out, if you like, beyond the limit of Sundays. He dwells in me and not just in us. He dwells in you as well as us, which means we can encounter him not just when we're with other Christians, but we can encounter him alone and therefore any time. So you don't have to wait for Sunday and you don't have to wait for life group. You don't have to depend upon the gathering. In fact, you don't need anybody else to encounter God's presence. The Holy Spirit has been poured out so that he can dwell in you when you're getting ready for work on Monday morning. He can dwell in you on Tuesday when you're in lectures. He can dwell in you when you're in your maths lesson on Wednesday. He can dwell in you when you're in a conversation with your boss on Thursday. He can dwell in you when you're on Friday having another battle with your two-year-old. You can dwell in his presence. And on Saturday when you're kicking back or doing your shopping, he can dwell in you because his spirit comes beyond the limit of Sundays. He's poured out his spirit so you can dwell with him, beyond the limits of a building, beyond the limits of Sundays, so you can know and enjoy living in his presence. That's what's been available, made available to you and to me. His spirit without limit. All that being said and that being true, we could then quite reasonably ask the question, why don't I feel God's presence all the time? Why don't I feel his presence all the time? Maybe you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit. And if that's you this morning, we would love to pray with you. And as we come to a response time at the end this morning, there'll be opportunity for you to be prayed for so you can receive the Holy Spirit. But also for many of us, there can be some other limits which the Holy Spirit comes up against. And I'm gonna call these limits this morning the limits of myself. The limits of myself. You see, there are some limits that God does not breach without our cooperation, without our invitation. He created man with free will, with choice, and he doesn't override it. Sometimes we put limits in place, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, but the Holy Spirit does not push forcibly beyond the limits we put in place. So perhaps we need to ask ourselves, as part of this passion for the presence, where is he welcome in our life? Are there areas where actually he is unwelcome? Do I really want God's presence, loving and holy, with me all week? Is it actually more convenient for it just on a Sunday? Are there things that I don't or won't speak to him about? Maybe aspects of my life that I'm not willing to change. Maybe some areas that are non-negotiable. We put limits. Sometimes we can also have past pain. Things that happen, things that were done to us. Stuff we haven't processed and we refuse to go there. And that's understandable. But what happens when we do that is we close off a part of ourselves and deny access. It's a limit. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't fill what we allow to stay full of something else. The Holy Spirit will not forcibly breach the limits that we put in place. Now, he may and he will probably come and tap on the door of them sometimes to say, can I, can I come in here? points them out to us, helps us to see them. I think sometimes he even allows those areas of our life to become more difficult 
in the hope that we might choose to open them up to him, that he might lead us out from a place of limitation and into a place of freedom and in him inhabiting us fully and freely. But he seeks our willing cooperation. He's always seeking our willing cooperation. We cannot behave a certain way to earn God's presence. His presence, his spirit in us is always a gift of grace, made possible only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Nothing added, nothing taken away. It's always a gift of grace. But we can position ourselves. We can prepare ourselves so as to remove any limitations, to remove any obstacles that we might find in the temple that we are responsible for. We're not pursuing a feeling, we're pursuing a person. If we're pursuing a person, then really what we're pursuing is a relationship with a person, with the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, when we come to church like this, all of us want to come in and we want to encounter the beautiful, powerful, loving, life-giving presence of God. But if all we want from God is a once a week intimate encounter, I might suggest that's not relationship. In fact, if I were to tell you of a husband or a wife who treated their spouse in that way, hopefully every one of us in the room would know that's not right. That's not relationship. And in fact, if you're here this morning and that is how you treat your spouse, then please sign up for the marriage course before you leave the room this morning. If I were to tell you that Martin and I are too busy to spend any time together, or that when we're together actually we keep our phones on and often we just end up on the phone or texting other people, or if I told you that when we sit down we don't actually listen to each other, we put the telly on all the time, or it's just we don't talk, then you would expect that there would be some impact in our relationship. Our intimacy, our connection would be impacted because intimacy and connection are founded in the relationship of the everyday. You know, it's not so different with God. And for some of us, the biggest limit in our lives to experiencing more of the presence of God is that we're careless about his presence. We allow ourselves to become distracted from prioritizing our relationship with him. Perhaps outside of church and Sundays, we don't really keep him first. There are other things more important, other priorities, career, football, money, friends, family, many, many things. The, the Bible might call that idolatry. It seems a very big word. Actually, idolatry is normally very insidious. It creeps into our lives without realizing that something else is more important. When I was a little girl, I had one of these that's coming up on the screen here. I know it looks a bit scary. Uh, this is meant to be an owl. This was a money box that was given to me by the building society where I had an account. And uh, I think their logo was an owl, and so this was meant to look like an owl. Uh, it wasn't the original Angry Bird. It was long before that. Uh, in fact, because it looks scary, actually, one of my sisters put a bit of tape on it to make it look slightly more friendly with a beak. Now, the thing with this money box, it was given by the building society so that you would save your money into it. And the thing with this money box was you couldn't get your money out of it yourself. 
Believe me, I tried. Many times, many different implements, many metal objects couldn't do it. The only way you could get the money out of the owl was to take it to the building society, which normally happened on a Saturday morning, and then they would put it in the account and they'd mark it on the book. Now what happened in the building society when I would go in there, it was a result of a number of decisions that I would have been making throughout the weeks before. Would I spend or would I save? With my few little coins, would I invest them or would I spend them? I'd made choices in lots of different places. I've made choices in sweet shops. I've made choices in toy shops. Spend or save? Take it home and put it in the owl or have the Mars bar now? I think we know which choice was made there. But you know, it's different times, different places. We're making choices all the time. Then on maybe on a Saturday morning, I'd go to the building society to invest the money but what I invested was impacted by the choices I'd been making throughout the week in lots of different places. It isn't about earning anything. I was eight. Everything I was given, everything I had, was I'd been given. It wasn't earned in any way. But there were a series of decisions I made about what I chose to do with what had been given me to steward. Spend or invest which was important to me, which was my priority to me. Now, the result of what my choices could be seen on a Saturday morning in a number written on a piece of, uh, in a little bit of a book as I went into the building society, but the choices were made all the time everywhere. And really what I want us to grasp this morning is that we have all been given choices, free will, choices as to how we steward our lives, steward our time, steward our energy, steward our relationships and what we invest them in. And when we worship at the weekend, we clearly choose God. We've clearly all chosen God this morning because you're here in the room. But it's not separate from those other choices that we're making all the time, everywhere. We may be most conscious of the results of the choices here in church on a Sunday, but we're making the choices all the time. One of the Hebrew words for worship is the word avoda. It doesn't just mean singing or praising or thanking or bowing or celebrating like some of the other words do, but it means work, worship, and service. Work, worship, and service. It gives us this helpful sense that worship is about our whole life. It's about our whole life. choosing to invest in our relationship with him everywhere, with every choice, or at least seeking to move towards that. We're all on a journey in this. Let me read you what Paul says in Romans 12. This is his letter to the Romans in the message version. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, 
eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. It's challenging. Because having a passion for the presence of God is not simply about our worship experience when we sing. It's not simply about moments of encounter, but it's about every part of our lives with nowhere off limits, no parts, no places, no times off limit. It's about seeking to make choices all the time that are a response to the goodness and kindness of God. A response that we want to be like him, we want to please him, we want to be obedient to him, and we want to serve him, we want to choose his will over my will. So Paul says, take your life and place it before God as an offering. Allow Holy Spirit beyond the limits. We could look at a list of behaviors here. Paul writes some of those in his letters, things that you need to do and things that you need to get rid of from your life. I'm, I'm not gonna go into specifics this morning. I think most of us know the things in our life that we need to add in that we haven't. And most of us know the things that we need to get rid of. The truth is that every choice we make, every behavior that we choose has the potential to nurture one of two responses in our hearts. Paul, in Galatians 5 and 6, he talks about it as either sowing to please the Spirit of God or sowing to please the flesh. That means myself, my will. Every choice can either nurture hunger in my heart for God when I sow to please His Spirit or it can nurture hardness in my heart when I sow to please my flesh, please myself. I hope you know that we grow in our lives what we sow in our lives. We grow what we sow. Sowing and reaping always remains. What you reap, you sow. When I sow into myself and my flesh and my will, then I sow into a hardness of my heart. When I sow into pleasing the Spirit, then I sow into a hunger after Him and the things of God. So I have to ask myself, where am I sowing? The choices, the things I'm on with, and am I limiting the Spirit of God in my life by choosing to sow into my flesh instead of choosing to sow into pleasing Him? To pursue a passion for His presence, we must begin to deal with behaviors and habits and settings that don't feed our hunger for Him. Because if we keep sowing into our flesh, it hardens our hearts. Our choices reinforce a limit that is in place. We're pursuing a person. We're pursuing the person, intimacy with God himself. You know, any relationship requires investment, time, attention, listening. And our attention, uh, our engagement and relationship with the Holy Spirit is no different. So how do we nurture relationship with the Holy Spirit? I wanna say it begins by listening to what he says. You know, his words are written down in the Bible. It tells us that, that actually the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was men inspired by Holy Spirit who wrote their things down. So when we read the Bible, we're reading what God is saying to us. Do we listen to those things? Do we listen to the gentle whispers of the Holy Spirit in our spirit, the thoughts that we didn't think? 
I've never heard the Holy Spirit shout, but he does whisper. Maybe when he challenges you or speaks to you through a preacher like this, do we listen? How much airtime do we give him? You know, you don't have to read loads of Bible, but just a little. Maybe begin with just the verse of the day on you version if you don't engage with the Bible at all. But do we respond when we read or when we hear? Sometimes we can feel like God has stopped speaking, but sometimes it's just because we haven't responded to the last thing he asked us to do. And he's just giving us some time to do that. Now, whenever God speaks to us, we have a choice as to whether we'll respond. I don't know if you've ever received a message from someone on your phone and uh, for some reason not been able to reply to it straight away. Maybe because you were busy or maybe because for some reason it was either a bit complicated, the situation, or there's a bit of a disagreement, but you couldn't just whack back a thumbs up. So it sits there. If it's in WhatsApp, it sits there. You know they've seen the two blue arrows, or the two blue ticks, but you just can't respond right now. Then you go to Tesco, and the unfortunate things happen in that you see them. You're like, oh, bother. The first thing you think is, I've not replied to the message. And you think, do I have to speak to them now? Have they seen me? Is this just me? No, this isn't just me. That's good. Have they seen me? Can I lag back two aisles behind them throughout the whole store and get away with it? Because you see, something's happened in us because we haven't responded to them. Our heart isn't open and straightforward to them. The fact we haven't replied compli complicates our response to them when we encounter them. Now let me make it clear, when we don't listen or we don't attend to what Holy Spirit has said, I, I don't actually believe he takes offense like we can as people. He doesn't back off and withdraw like we might do in a bit of a mood. He just sees us in those moments outworking what he already knows is in our hearts. He knows us at our worst and he welcomes us at our worst. So when we behave at our worst, he's not surprised and he doesn't walk off and he doesn't leave, mercifully. But when we don't respond and we don't listen, it changes us. It changes our hearts when we haven't replied, when we haven't responded. Actually, it puts a limit in our hearts because unspoken or unspoken, spoken or unspoken, we've essentially said to him, not here, or not now, or not that. Yeah? We say, not here, not now, not that. We put limits, but if we listen, if we respond to his word, or sometimes just trying to respond to his word, is what we can manage, we remove those limits. When we accept that we are his temple, you're his temple, your body, my body, we are hosts of the presence of God. When he comes to dwell in us, he moves in and, and we become, if you like, carriers of the presence of God. What an amazing truth to even begin to speak. You know, a few months ago, when Dr. John Andrews had been here to preach in another series, we took him out for lunch afterwards, and we sat around the table, and the waiter took some drinks orders, and a few moments later came back with a tray filled with a number of drinks. I'm not sure if it was the first or the second drink. As he took it off the tray, he was standing to my right, and he took the drink off the tray and reached over to put it on the table, and as he reached, the tray tipped. All the drinks fell 
a whole pint of Pepsi down my right-hand side. It was not how I'd anticipated receiving the drink that day. No, it was okay. The restaurant looked after us. We all helped mop it, mop, mop, mop it up. The waiter obviously felt bad, but I think got over it. But here's the thing. The waiter had been tasked with carrying something, but he hadn't moved carefully enough to keep hold of it. He hadn't realized that what he was doing, how he moved, how he reached over, impacted what he was carrying. And so it was lost. It was wasted. In the same way that our choices can change our hearts, so also what we do can affect how we carry what we've been given. Whether we steward the presence of God in us carefully, attentive to any little shifts in balance, are we seeking to proceed with an awareness so we can hold on to what we've been given? Sometimes I hear things, sometimes I see things on a screen, sometimes I talk to people and there's a response in my spirit to what I'm hearing or what's happening. And I sense that something I'm engaging with in those moments doesn't sit well with the Spirit of God. The two don't go well together. This spirit that I'm seeking to carry, that I'm seeking to host, I, I sense that it, it doesn't, those things don't work together. A few months ago, I'd been reading a blog by a church leader who writes some really good stuff that's very helpful. And on this occasion, it had been a blog about being uh, irrelevant. You can be brilliant, but you can still be irrelevant. And my response to this was saying, yeah, I, sh I do need to work at making sure I don't become irrelevant, amongst many other things. But my response to this was that I put on a Spotify playlist of the top 40, which is not what I normally listen to. I would normally listen to worship. And I was driving along, listening to this music. The first song was fine. Uh, second song began, and immediately I had a response in my spirit. I can only describe as like when a, a magnet is put with a, a similar pole in another magnet, and it just repels it. That's what I could feel on the inside. I was like, what is this? There was nothing about the melody that I particularly disliked, and I couldn't make out the lyrics to know what they were singing about. But when I next got to some traffic lights and stopped, I pulled up my phone and looked at what it was I was listening to. And when I saw the title of the song, I knew immediately that the content was completely inappropriate. It was singing about desiring something that was totally contrary to what God says in his word not something I would normally have listened to. I switched it straight off. I put some worship music on because I desperately wanted to restore the sense of God's peace and God's presence in my spirit. I haven't listened to the top 40 on Spotify since. <laughs> I, I don't want to be irrelevant, but I want the presence of God more. I wonder if for many of us, there are other things we also want in our lives, but the question is, do we want the presence of God more? I set out a number of years ago and decided that hosting the presence of God was the most precious privilege that I've been afforded. The most precious privilege. I'd grown up thinking that the Bible was the primary requirement for life. I, I love the Bible. I read it pretty much every day. I, I treasure it and I'm seeking to obey it. But in the Holy Spirit, God himself has come to make his home in me. God himself has come 
to make his home in me. The maker of the cosmos, the one who spoke and the stars were in the sky, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the judge and the king of everything, has made his home here in me committing himself to the daily work of trying to make me a bit more like Jesus. I mean, did he get the short straw or what? But the God himself has come, given this level of commitment and presence to be here every day. What sort of a God would do this? I would question it more, but it's clear from his word and I live in the experience of it every day so I know it's true even though it sounds crazy, that the king of the universe is present in my life. He wants me to be his host and he wants you to be his host, to be present every moment in every circumstance, success and failure, heights, depths, joys, sorrows. He wants to be there, the constant companion, the interior designer working on us from the inside out. I don't think I fully grasp that I cannot get over the grace and mercy of a God who would treat me in this way. Of a God who would not just give himself and come and hang on a cross, but then would come and inhabit me for all eternity, that I would be his, that I would be part of what he's doing on the earth, and that in everything that I walk through, he would be there, present. How could anything be more precious? and the presence of the living God. I want every choice I make. I don't always get it right. I want every choice I make to show him that I love him, to demonstrate that his presence is most precious to me. And I want to be attuned to his response to what is around me so I can seek to respond the same. That's what I'm trying to learn to do. I want to be conscious of the one that I carry. This is what it means to be passionate for his presence. I wonder if I can invite the band. God has poured out his spirit without limit, beyond the limits of a building, beyond the limits of a Sunday, and beyond the limits of myself, the limits that he waits for our cooperation to go beyond. Maybe you find it hard to cooperate with him. I want to say that's normal. That's sin and it's in all of us. We all have that wrestle. We all have that struggle. And that's why Paul's words to the church in Rome were so great. He said, God helping you take your everyday ordinary life. God helping you. Amazingly, he won't breach the limits that we put there without our cooperation, but he will come and help us to cooperate. There's this beautiful verse in Philippians 2.13, which I love because when I hit my own inability to cooperate and want what God wants, I find that he provides for that as well. He says, for it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It basically means God works in you to help you want it and then to do it. If I want it, but I can't do it, he'll help me do it. But if I don't yet want it, I can ask him and I say, help me want it. And he says, yeah, I'll help you want it. So wherever you find yourself this morning, he's here to help you right where you are because it's God who works in you to will and to act.
means we can come this morning and say, Lord, help me to cooperate. Work in me so that I want what you want. Come beyond my limits, Holy Spirit. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. As we conclude this series this morning, I want to invite us all to respond. In a moment, the band are gonna begin to play and the prayer ministry team are gonna be here. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit and you want to come out of your seat and just get someone to pray with you right away, you can do that right away. For the rest of us in the room, the song they're gonna begin to sing is not necessarily for us to begin to sing immediately. I want to encourage us not necessarily to rush to respond with our words, but to respond to what the Spirit of God is doing in you, saying in you, challenging you about, or just ministering to you. You may not need to move straight away, but will probably be maybe after a little while, you may need to move. You may need to get out of your seat. You might want to come down to the front. You may want to stand up. You may want to kneel down. I want to encourage every one of us to respond to him this morning, to bring to him what we can of our life. Maybe coming saying, I don't, I don't know how to do this, but help me, want, help me want it. That's all I can bring you this morning. But that we respond by bringing an offering to him, inviting him beyond our limits to invite you to consider the greatness of what he invites you to, his own presence living in you. However much his presence may cost you, it costs him more. And I invite us this morning to bring our lives as an offering, to be set apart, to be consecrated, for the pursuit of his presence. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you that you meet with us as your people gathered. We thank you for one another and the precious sense of your presence as we meet together. We thank you also that you dwell in each one of us. And you come and meet us where we are. invite you in this moment, Holy Spirit, to work in our hearts and to come and meet us where we're at, that we might be able to respond to you, that we might desire to cooperate with you, and that we might welcome you beyond our limits, that we would know his spirit without limit in our lives, wherever we go, whenever we go there, more of you is that desire of our hearts, Lord, we worship you.